Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, let me not dilly-dally. Let me not dilly-dally as we're short on time. While everybody's getting situated, if you guys can open your Bibles to Psalms 42. Psalms 42 is where we're going to be doing our message today. I've been <clears throat> graced with the task to um, present the word. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Caleb Merlin. I have the honor and privilege to serve as an elder of this house. And I want to give... <laughs> I want to give um, honor to Pastor B and Lady Ty as they've been here and as, um, as they're absent. And so um, are you guys there at Psalms 42? Okay, if you guys are not there, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. It'll be on the screen. But we're going to jump right in. We're going to read the entire chapter. So just pace with me. Just walk with me. So at verse 1, it starts saying this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet Praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mazar. Deep calls on to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God of my life. I will say to God, my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a breaking of my bones? My enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my continent and my God. Now, if you guys have been reading this word, you can see there's a repeated phrase coming up. There's multiple repeated phrases in this that's coming up. But the one we're going to focus on is a question I think a lot of us are asking ourselves, which is, where is your God? Where is your God? If you allow me, I want to speak today from the topic, never alone. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Father, we... We're grateful, Lord, right now for your presence. We're thankful, Lord, that you graced us with another day. We're thankful, Lord, that you graced us with the gift of life. And as, Lord, we're about to listen to your word, God, I'm asking right now for your power. Lord, you know, Lord, that I can't speak this word without you. For even though, Lord, I wrote these words, Lord, you are the one who are the primary author. So I pray, Lord, that you breathe life into these words and give it, Lord, a type of power, Lord, that can pierce through the heart of flesh. Lord, I'm praying for the listener. 
Lord, Lord, I'd be able to soften their hearts, Lord, and soften their souls, God. I'm not sure, Lord, what anyone is carrying, Lord. I'm not sure what they're missing, Lord, but I know all of us need a nice reminder that you're near and that you're with us. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that I need that reminder, but give the people that reminder. We pray, Lord, and present these positions to you. All in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Never alone. Never alone. Now, today is a little bit of a special day for me because I actually have my cousin Justin with me and his girlfriend Cassidy. If y'all can make some noise for my family. They came to support me today. And I'm truly grateful. Now, honestly, it, I kind of cringe at calling him my cousin because it's, it's a little bit of a dishonest, a little bit of disservice because we were really raised as brothers. You know, we were at each other's house every weekend. We used to play with each other. We used to compete against each other. We used to fight all the time. And we were just attached to the hip all the time. And as we grew older, one of the things that kept us together, one of the things that kept our bond strong was our love for anime. Now, I know you guys are looking at me and like, well, aren't you supposed to be a pastor? What do you look like watching anime? Now, Allow me, allow me to give my first counsel as your pastor, my first official decree, because some of y'all are still single because you haven't watched anime yet. I'm not, now, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm really not a prophet or anything, but I, I can guarantee, I can give you a righteous guarantee that if you start watching anime, your prospects are going to jump out the water. It's going to jump. Now, if you, if you have your hesitations, somebody's preaching, I'm preaching right now. Now, if you have your hesitations, if you have your hesitations, I can understand why. Some of you guys are like, well, I can't get into the style. I can't get into, it's not really my thing. But the beauty about anime is that it has a diversity of genres. It has a diversity of styles. Anybody that watches will tell you. Because you have like shonen anime, like One Piece or Naruto. Those are like adventure stories, coming to age stories, world building stories where you're walking. You have darker scene in anime, like Attack on Titan or Death Note. These are more like melancholy anime that are like more psychological, more. But if you don't like any of those, there's like sports anime, slice of life anime, mecha anime, anything that you would want the anime has. I, I'm telling y'all, it's a, I'm, I'm telling y'all, y'all looking up some of them right now. I'm telling y'all, it, 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 it's, it's worth the buy because the beauty of anime, it's, it's richness and diversity. It's the richness in, in, in its expression. Because the beauty of anime, anyone will tell you that the author has a certain way. They have a certain style just to encapsulate you into the world that they're building. They have a certain way of just grabbing your attention and picking at your emotional points. And today, I want to suggest to you that the Psalms are the same way. Now, you might not understand it, but the Psalms are not like any other narrative book. It's not like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, where these are stories being written. But the Psalms are actually a collection of poems. They're a collection of hymns broken down, broken down into different divisions, written by different authors and written with different styles. Now, which, when I say styles, I mean some psalms are proverbial. That meaning they're wisdom literature. That, that's just a fancy way of saying that the psalms have spiritual principles that they want you to apply. Pastor B just preached from one of these psalms a couple weeks ago in Psalms 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. This is wisdom literature. This is a principle that the psalm wants you to apply. But the psalms don't just stop there. Some psalms are not only proverbial, some of them are actually prophetic. 
Some Psalms are prophetic in talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, like in Psalms 2. Even some Psalms have the words of Jesus himself, like Psalms 22, where he says the famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I prom- the Psalms get better because they're not only prophetic, they're also historical. Some Psalms testify of the goodness of God throughout all the generations. This is where you get Psalms 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down near the green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm going to still keep going. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow. Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It's a historical psalm. It's a historical psalm. You even have psalms like Psalms 91, where the psalmist is in the midst of the desert recounting how God has provided for him. And in the wilderness, the psalm pens the famous phrase, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so the the psalms have different characteristics. And I love that it has different characteristics because the different genres of the Psalms, the different styles of the Psalms shows us the different characteristics of our worship. That that sometimes our worship needs to be proverbial. Sometimes it needs to be rooted in wisdom, rooted in the character of God. Sometimes our worship needs to be prophetic. That even though things feel bleak, I know that God will finish what he started and as I lift him up, he'll lift me up. Sometimes our worship needs to be historical. Sometimes you need to bring up God's resume and say, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even though I don't feel good right now, historically, you've been good. So, and so the Psalms and like our worship has different styles, but there's one style I failed to mention. Because one style the Psalms has is a lament psalm. A psalm full of weeping, full of tears. Now, I'm grateful I'm truly grateful that these psalms are written in the Bible. I'm grateful that these words of agony and pain are written in the Bible because it means that God wants to hear my tears. God wants to hear my weeping. This is where we find ourselves in Psalms 42. This is where we find ourselves with the psalmist today. Now, there are many psalms like lament psalms. Right? There are many passages where the, where the author is going through some type of existential crisis, but usually it's a crisis that they brought upon themselves. Right? This, like an example like Psalms 51, where David, after he slept with Bathsheba, he wrote the psalm and wrote the famous phrase, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. See, some psalm, there's a lot of psalms like that one, but this psalm stands out. It stands out because even though this psalmist is going through a crisis, he didn't bring it upon himself. The passage actually suggests that God might have brought this crisis to the psalm. That for some reason, this psalmist, that the sovereignty of God is allowing this psalmist to experience a spiritual depression. Now, I know, I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds a little crazy, but it's even crazier when you consider the type of man the psalmist was. So look at the manuscript at the top, before, because before you read a psalm, you gotta, you gotta really realize who wrote it. The manuscript at the top says this, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. 
Now take a pause, take a pause, because I know that I don't mean nothing to any of y'all. I know, for some of y'all, you're saying the only Korra I know is the legend of Korra from Avatar The Last Airbender. I know y'all don't know, I know, but if you study, if you study the Bible, you study the scriptures, you'll find that the, that the sons of Korah are actually a subgroup of the Levitical priest. This was the group who were charged with ushering the people of God into praise and worship. In other words, these were our worship leaders. Now, this might not sound like a big deal because you're like, well, anybody could be a worship leader. All I got to do is hit up Chris and Matthias and audition and there it is. There it is. But what you fail to realize is that the sons of Korah had to go through rigorous training. They had to study the words of laws of Moses passed down from generations. Some of them even had to memorize the Torah front to back. So in other words, this is someone who has history with God. This is someone that has known God for a long time and has confidence in God. But despite this man's spiritual fortitude, despite his spiritual longevity, this godly man is going through something that's a little forbidden in church. He's going through something that we frown upon amongst our leaders. You see, this psalmist, he's depressed. He, he's spiritually depressed. Now, don't, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it, but look what it says in verses 1 and verse 2. Look what it says in verse 1 and verse 2. It says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, I know this, this phrasing might be familiar with y'all because a lot of y'all might know that old school song where it's like, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul won't give back. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, if, even though y'all might know the song, y'all might not understand the song's meaning. Because even though the deer, you have to understand, deer are very intelligent. They're intelligent creatures. So they don't usually wait until they're thirsty to go for water. They're usually constantly drinking water. So when you see a panting deer, a panting deer is a deer that's literally dying of thirst. And it's dying of thirst not only because it needs water, it's dying of thirst because it's actually in danger. Let me, let me walk you through it. Let me walk you through it because, you see, deer aren't built like us because they don't have sweat glands, right? So they don't sweat. So they don't need a nice Jamaican handkerchief like Chris got to use to wipe off this sweat. They, they don't need that because they don't sweat. But so when a deer senses danger, when a deer senses danger from a predator, it starts to run. It starts to run quickly. But once it starts running, it starts panting. Because it doesn't sweat, because it can't cool down its bodily temperature through sweat, in order to regulate its temperature, it starts panting. But the problem is that when it starts panting, it actually releases a scent that allows the predator to track it. So you guys got to follow me. You got, if you're paying attention, the deer has a problem here. It has a problem. It knows that it has to run from the predator, but if it knows that it pants too long, the predator can catch it. So the deer knows that its only hope to escape danger is if it gets itself to the water. I'm trying not to preach too much. I'm trying not to preach too much. But he's saying that the deer is ingenuity enough to know that if I can get myself under the water's embrace, that the water can erase my scent and hide me from danger. 
Now, this is, this is why I'm saying if the deer is smart enough to know that the water can hide it from danger, why don't we use the living water to hide it? I got to go. Actually, I'm, I'm actually short on. T- I got to go. I actually got to go. I got to go. But so you got to understand. You got to understand what the psalmist is doing here. The psalmist is equating his situation to that of a deer in the midst of danger. He's saying he's in danger. He needs God as a rest. But unlike the deer, the psalmist can't sense God. The psalmist can't find where God is. And because he can't find God, he says this at the top of verse 3. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Take a pause. I, I just need you to hear what this psalmist is saying. I need you to hear what this psalmist is saying because he's saying that he's not only crying himself to sleep, but his tears are his only food. He's saying that the only sustenance that he can find and provide for himself are the tears coming down from his eyes. Now, now I want you to see the poetry here. I want you to see the poetry here because the psalm literally said in the verse before that he's longing for water, for the waters of God, but the only waters that he can find are the waters from his tears. The only waters that can comfort him are the waters from his tears. Now, I'm not sure if you ever experienced a sadness that takes your appetite away. I'm not sure if you ever experienced a sadness that robs you of your ability to get up in the morning. That robs you of your autonomy to get out of your house. But the psalmist has. Now, now, you got to remember, you got to remember the psalmist is a worship leader. he's the man who's charged to lead people with songs of praise and worship. But instead of praise and worship, the only thing that the psalm can do is utter songs of despair. Now, it's interesting to me, it really is interesting to me, that this psalmist is used to ministering to other people, but he's struggling to ministering to himself. (laughs) This psalmist is used to going with the multitude, but he's crying to himself in solitude. Now, I know, now, call me crazy, call me weird, but I actually find encouragement in the Psalms' discouragement. Now, ask me why. Hello, I'm a pastor now. Ask me why. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but you know what's funny? You know, if, you, if you're a Christian for long enough, sometimes Christians can make you feel like that. If you are only Christian enough, then you want to suffer through depression. That if you only prayed hard enough or believed in the right things, then you want to suffer through sadness. Christians have a funny way of making you feel like your sadness is your own fault. But, but the psalmist is trying, but I'm grateful that the Bible is going to tell the truth even though we don't. Because the psalmist is trying to show us that even the strongest of us can get weak sometimes. Even our mightiest soldiers can get weary sometimes. Now, th- this, is why, this is why I'm really pleading with y'all to pray for your leaders. Really pray for the people that you see serve all the time because when you see someone on a platform enough, you can have a tendency to desensitize yourself to the humanity. Desensitize yourself to their vulnerability. And I I know it to be true because ask yourself, when's the last time you prayed for Pastor B and Lady Ty? When's the last time you prayed for Gabe or for Ed or for Yolanda or anyone you see serve consistently? When's the last time you prayed for their family, for their dreams, for their hopes, for their children? You see... When you see someone on platform enough, when they're accustomed to them serving you, you get convinced that they're actually invincible. But the psalmist is trying to show us that leadership doesn't make us immune to sadness. 
that leadership doesn't make us immune to struggle. Now, this is funny because the psalmist is trying to teach us that now, no matter how called you are, no matter how anointed you are, no matter how spiritual you are, all of us will experience a season of spiritual depression. Now, I know, I know we don't like to talk about this. I know we don't like to talk about this part of my walk, but I need to explain this for two reasons. Reason number one, this is for everybody, but this is especially for my men. This is for everybody, but once again, but this is especially for my men because I need us to learn how to advocate for ourselves in times of sadness. You see, a lot of us really feel that we don't have the right to be sad. Because of the pressures of life and the expectations on us, we don't have the luxury to be sad. We don't have the luxury to be overwhelmed because things have to get done. But the psalmist is really trying to show us that it takes courage to acknowledge your sadness. It takes courage to acknowledge that you're overwhelmed. Reason number two, once again, this is for everybody, but this is especially for my new believers Because when you're newly saved, you can have a tendency to feel like you're on top of the world with God. That you just can feel God every day, that he's in your prayer, that he's in your room, that he's where you come and when you go. But if you live long enough, there'll come a time when you feel the hand of God is far away from you. There'll come a time when the voice of God feels like it goes silent. And if you're not careful with how you navigate this season, you'll begin to doubt if you ever had a real relationship with God at all. You'll be be tempted to doubt if your experiences with God were real to begin with. See, my seasoned saints know what I'm talking about. Because some of us who've been saved for a while long for the days we were first saved. Long for the days that we just wanted to pray every day. Long for the days that we were just on fire for God. Many of us have experienced a spiritual depression before, and if we're honest, Many of us feel like we never left it. Many of us feel like we can't find our way out of it. Many of us feel that we don't know how to recover. And if we're not careful, a season that was only supposed to last 40 days can last 40 years. And I want to make sure I have an obligation to make sure no one stays in that season a second longer than they have to. But in order for us to know how to navigate this season, we need to know what causes it. We need to know what causes it. Now, this can vary from person to person, but the the psalmist really keys on a few things. Because the psalm is trying to show us that we face the danger of spiritual depression when we feel that God has gone missing. Look what he says in verse 3 and verse 9. He says this, my tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, here it is, where is your God? Jump to verse 9 real quick. Jump to verse 9. Because he's saying, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, here it is again, where is your God? I got to break this down. I really got to break this down because you you can see the psalmist is in a dilemma. He's in a dilemma because on one end, he can acknowledge that God is his rock. On one end, he can acknowledge that God is his firm foundation. But on the other end, he's questioning God's motives. 
he's questioning God's intentions. Now, you, you need to understand, you need to understand, it's one thing to struggle with doubting in the belief of God. It's one thing to struggle with believing that God exists, but it's a different type of pain when you know the embrace of God and you feel that God is nowhere to be found. When you know how it feels to be in the presence of God and you can't find him anywhere. You see, the psalmist is talking about being in divine abandonment. Now, while studying for this sermon, while studying for this sermon, I had to talk to my man Zach here because he just got certified as a social worker and he got all the degrees and everything. You know what I'm saying? So I, I really love when I got my Christians who are smart Christians. Those are my favorite type of Christians. And so I was talking to him and he was, he was telling me about a complex trauma children experience while growing up. The trauma of feeling abandoned by your parents. Now, now while, while Zach was talking to me, he, he told me some crazy things. He, he was actually telling me that the, that feeling of abandonment can be similar, can actually give rise to the same level of emotion that a soldier experiences while he's off at war. Now, I need you to imagine. Imagine a, the intensity a soldier is facing, the violence, the same fight and flight reaction he has a little child is housing in their little bodies. He's housing in their little bodies. Now, this is, this is the crazy part that got me. Zach was telling me that this feeling of abandonment is not limited to a parent just getting up and leaving. He said it's not just isolated to a parent that you knew one day and you can't find them the next day or a parent that you never knew your entire life. But there are some times you can feel abandoned by a parent you see every day. You, you, you can have a father who you've known your entire life, who you've seen your entire life, but still feel abandoned by them. You can have a mother that knows how to cook and clean for you, but can't engage you emotionally. This kind of abandonment, this type of complex feeling is what the psalmist is talking about today. He, he's talking about that. He knows what it means to be in God's embrace. But God, where are you now? God, God where have you gone? God, God, it's been a couple of days. Why, why haven't I heard from you? Why haven't I heard from you? I, I honestly, and I, I think a lot of us can resonate with the feelings of this psalmist. A lot of us can feel in a season and in a place where God seemingly has gone missing. But I want to challenge us today a little bit. I want to challenge us today because it is very true that there's a special kind of joy that comes feeling near God. There's a special kind of feeling you get when you can just feel the presence of God thick in a room. That when worship is going up and the prayers are going up, you can just feel God and the Holy Spirit moving through the atmosphere. There's really, there's truly nothing like it. But the danger we have is if we judge God's presence by our feelings, then when pressure comes and when trouble attempts to overwhelm that feeling, we'll be tempted to believe that God has moved. We'll be tempted to believe that God has gone up and left. But I want to suggest to you that the same place God was at when you were glad is the same place he's at when you're sad. <laughs> because I need to teach someone that the presence of God doesn't always mean the absence of sadness. Because it's true that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. That's true. But that joy doesn't always erase sadness. You, God can be in the room and you can be sad at the same time. But the problem is if we begin to imagine a scenario where God has left us, we'll fall deeper into despair. We'll fall deeper into depression. 
Because I have to tell it's the trick of the enemy for you to believe that God has left you. Because similar to this psalmist, there were three Hebrew boys who were tempted to believe that God had left. <laughs> you see, these three Hebrew boys were in the middle of exile. They were exiled from their country in a foreign country called Babylon. So they were actually experiencing a type of abandonment. They were actually experiencing a real abandonment where they were literally not living in the promises of God. And so while they're in exile, a decree went out from the king. The king said that I need everyone to worship the Babylonian God. But in the midst of exile, in the midst of divine abandonment, these three Hebrew boys do something interesting. They somehow convict in their hearts that, you know what, we refuse to bow the knee to a foreign God. And so when the king heard this news, the king heard these news and he was in outrage. He was flustered. He was so angry that he was like, you know what, I'm going to throw these three boys into a fiery pit. And when he threw them, Daniel 3 says this, the king said to him, who is the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? In other words, the king was really challenging him saying, where is your God now? Where is your God now? So the, so the king throws them into the pit. But while they're in the fiery furnace, something interesting happens in the fire. The Bible says that the king threw three men in, but a fourth man appeared in the fire. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy because it's almost as if the intensity of the heat forced this fourth man to reveal himself. And so when the king saw that, he was confused. He went to his advisor and said, wait, didn't I throw three men in there? Didn't I throw three men into a furnace? How are there four men walking in the fire unharmed? And the king is asking, who is? Who is that man? Now, he was questioning who is that man, but I want to tell you, that man has a tendency to show up when you need him the most. <laughs> because that man is the same man who showed up to Moses at the burning bush. <laughs> that man is the same man who showed up to Joshua and called himself the captain of the Lord's armies. That is the same man who wrestled with Jacob and touched his hip. It's the same man who walked up to Peter on water and grabbed him from the water. It's the same man who snatched up Saul from the road of Damascus. Who is this man? The Bible calls him by many names. Some people like to call him wonderful counselor. Other people like to call him priest of peace. Some people just like to call him Mary's boy. But I like to call him Jesus. I like to call him Jesus, my savior. Now, I'm not sure if anyone has the same testimony as these boys, that when the fire of life got hot and you thought you were in there by yourself, it was Jesus who came and snatched you out. You thought that you were in there by yourself, but Jesus showed up at the nick of time just to save you from your situation. If we were to be honest, some of us don't have the cute testimonies. We didn't meet Jesus when everything was going right. We didn't meet Jesus when everything was going well. But when we had no other option and no other hope and our back was against the wall, Jesus came up in the nick of time. Because I want to tell someone the same God that were able to keep these Hebrew boys in the midst of the fire is the same one who can keep you in the midst of infertility. He can keep you in the midst of a divorce. He can keep you in the midst of disappointment. He can keep you in the midst of unemployment. He can keep you in the midst of uncertainty. He can keep you in the midst of contemplating. I'm telling you, our God has enough power to keep you. He has enough power to keep you. This is the God that the psalmist is writing to. He's really penning to the Elohim, the God of all power. But we have the spiritual threat of falling into depression when we feel that God has gone missing. Can I give you one more? Can I give you one more? See, 
We can face the danger of spiritual depression when God has gone missing, but we can also face it when our community has gone missing. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. The Bible says this. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept the pilgrim's feast. Now, what the psalm is doing here, he's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on a time he used to be a part of a community. He's reflecting the feast that he's referencing is a time when all the tribes will come together. They will come together to eat, to sing, to worship, to study. There will be a time of fellowship and community all, um, all countrywide. But for some reason, instead of being with his family, the psalmist is in isolation. Now, we, we're not necessarily sure why. Scholars suggest that he's on exile. For some reason, he's on the outskirts. But we know that whatever the reason is, because he's in isolation, it's contributing to his spiritual depression. It's contributing to his spiritual doubt. The psalmist is reminiscing when he used to be a part of something greater than himself. He was reminiscing when he used to be a part of a body that he can rely on, a body that he used to be in a congregational worship. He knows he can worship by himself, but he knows there's nothing like coming together in the house of God in worship. Now, I know some of us, it's hard for us to resonate with this. Uh, Some of us can't resonate with this because we enjoy being by ourselves a lot. We enjoy being in isolation. And this is not to come for anyone who's extra introverted or a little independent. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being independent. But if you become too independent, thinking you don't need anybody, then it becomes a spiritual danger. You see, many of us have become so jaded and hurt by other people that we've convinced ourselves to be closed off. We've convinced ourselves to be cut off. There are many people in here who just, who've been attending this church for a while. You've been coming in and out for a little bit, but you haven't settled in to community yet. You haven't allowed your heart to be available to settle in to a community yet. Because many of us treat church as if it's optional. Many of us treat prayer, prayer night or Bible studies as if they're cute suggestions. As if they're not resources to protect your soul. Many of us really think that small group is just some type of new thing that we just made up. But before it was called small group, the old saints used to call it Sunday school. Before it was Sunday school, the New Testament used to call it breaking bread. Before it was breaking bread, it was called the pilgrim's feast built into the fabric of your faith. It's the need for community. It's the need for community. And I really want to thank God. I need to thank God for Pastor B's leadership because During my eldership process, the greatest thing I gained during that process wasn't the teachings, which were great, wasn't the reading, which was great, wasn't the lessons, which were also great. The greatest thing I gained was a more intimate relationship with Pastor B, Lady Ty, and a brotherhood with Warren and Janelle. The greatest thing I gained was that Pastor Timmy and Lady I were able to come and cover me in my house and be intimate with us. The greatest thing I gained was the relationship with those people. It was the greatest. The process was built for me to rely on those people. The process was built for me to know that there were some things that were thrown at me that I couldn't handle on my own. And the process forced me to rely Now, you might not realize it, but God might be forcing you into a certain situation. 
God might be forcing you to rely on some people that you're uncomfortable with. God might be forcing you to open yourself up to people. And I need to be, I need to be clear because I want you to be wise. I'm not saying to open yourself to everybody, but some of us haven't opened ourselves up to anybody. To anybody. And I want to I really make sure we're clear because we as Epiphany Church, we really suffer through a unique problem. Being in New York, we suffer through a, a unique situation where we live in a transient culture where people are constantly coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And if you live in New York long enough, you might have to reconstruct your community every two years or so because you can get close to a group of people and then a couple of years they might have to move. A couple of years, they might have to relocate. A couple of years, the volatility of the city might cause them to change. And you don't realize that change might put you in a spiritual danger. You might not realize. If some of us will reflect, many of us can connect our spiritual depression to a time someone relocated. Someone in our community left. You got comfortable with one group of friends, but when they left, you didn't make yourself vulnerable again. You weren't willing to make yourself available again. You weren't willing to put yourself out there again. And you don't realize that it could be contributing to your spiritual depression. It could, could be contributing, good God, to your spiritual stagnancy. And this is what this idea of community is what the psalmist is looking for. It's what he's longing for. It's what he's crying out to God for. That I need somebody. And so you see throughout this psalm, the the author is just going through ups and downs. He's constantly going through ups and downs where he's pouring out his heart, but he's trying to encourage himself. He's pouring out his heart and then trying to encourage himself. Because look how he tries to encourage himself in in verses 6 through 8. Look what he says. He says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mazar, deep calls onto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your um, waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to God of my life. Now, I want, you show, I want to show you what the, what the psalmist is doing He's in the middle of being in despair, in the middle of being downcast, but he's choosing to start to reflect. He's choosing, he's starting to remember. He's starting to think back on how he got this far and starting to realize that the only reason he made it is that God is the one that kept him. God's loving kindness. He was just talking about his tears being his food day and night. Now he's talking about God's loving kindness commanding the day and the night. He's saying, you know, even though I don't feel good, I have to remember historically you've been good. And I can't let my sadness affect my memory. Isn't it funny how sadness can do that? That it can alter. Trauma has a funny way of altering your memories. But because the psalmist is aware of that, he knows that if he falls into too much sadness, he'll forget. In the midst of agony, he's fighting to remember the nature of God. He's fighting to keep himself uplifted. And to do this, the psalm does something interesting. As he's pouring out to his heart, in the midst of his pouring out, he starts speaking to his heart. He starts speaking to his heart. There's a couple of phrases that repeat itself twice. It comes up in verse 5 and verse 11. Look what he's saying. He's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his continence. He says it again in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my continence and my God. Now, what you, what you see interesting here is that the psalmist really talked to himself. He, he's really talking. To, I know that could be weird for some people, that, but it actually might be healthy for you sometimes to talk to yourself. Because he, he's talking to himself and saying, I know you're sad. I know that he's in the middle of outpouring his heart. He's in the middle of outpouring his agony, but he's saying that I can't let my emotions overcome me. I need to start preaching to him. I need to start preaching to him. Now, now I want to show you, I need to show you the balance here. I need you to show you the pull and tug because we've been reading through this entire psalm and we see that he's giving himself room to vent. He's giving himself room to complain. He's giving himself room to question God's motives. But the psalmist even knows that he can't let his heart have the final say. He knows that he can't let his heart have the final say. Now, note he's allowing his heart to fully express himself. But then he's starting to put his heart back in his place. He's starting to say to that, I command my soul to bless the Lord. I know my soul is downcast, but I need to command it to start praising God. Now, I need to show you that the psalmist is showing that your feelings are important, that your feelings are informative, but your feelings are authoritative, that they don't tell the full story. And so I'm not sure, honestly, when the psalmist is, is pouring out his heart this way, it, it reminds me, it's almost like it mirrors a time with Jesus in the garden. That in Mark 4, the Bible says that Jesus says that my soul is so troubled that I'm dying. I'm so sad that I'm dying to death. And that during the if you look at the, um, the, the account of Luke, while Jesus is in trouble in the, in the garden, while he's in tears in the garden, an angel comes. An angel comes to strengthen him. But what's interesting is that even though Jesus is in the presence of God, Jesus is still sad. Because the Bible says in the next verse that he's literally sweating tears of blood because of his anxiety. He, he's literally at that point having an anxiety attack. He, it's almost as if Jesus is looking at the angel. It's like, you know, what you're doing is nice. You can help me, but you don't, all, all, you don't have all the power to keep me. You see, I need to go through this status. I have to go through this process because I have to send my people the ultimate helper. Jesus said, I need to go send my people the helper who's going to be able to help you remember the nature of God in times of trouble. Who's going to show up to not only remember God's teaching, but help you remember the character of God. This helper is going to manifest himself in moments where you feel that God has gone missing. But the thing is that this helper came at a cost. He came at a cost. Jesus, in order to send this helper, he had to start walking the path of Golgotha. And even though this psalmist feels abandoned, Jesus actually had to become abandoned. <laughs> you see, this psalmist feels like he's about to die from thirst, but Jesus actually died from a divine thirst. Jesus was thirsting for God on the cross, but he didn't allow himself to quench his thirst because he knew that one day you would be thirsty. He knew that one day you would be questioning. He knew that one day you would be uncertain, and he didn't want you to suffer the same fate he did, so he endured. He endured the sadness. He endured the pain and died to make sure that you and I had a living hope, 
had a living hope to walk with us, had a living hope to comfort us, had a living hope to wipe the tears from our eyes. You see, Jesus became abandoned by God so you and I could have full access to God. You see, the work of the cross does many things. The work of the cross does many things, but one of the greatest things it does is that the certainty of the cross makes sure that we and I, you and I have the guarantee that we'll never be alone. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. We thank you, Lord. Father God, I, I come before you right now. As, Lord, we were just pouring out our soul before you, as we were reminiscing on the words of this sadness, God, I'm, it's not lost to me that someone is feeling thirsty. Someone is hungering for the touch of God right now. Someone's been going through a week where they felt like they just couldn't make it, God. Someone was going through a week where they tried to pray. They tried to read. They tried to console themselves, but they couldn't find the strength. They couldn't find the strength within themselves, Father, and they kept crying, God, where will you come? When will you be there? But Father, I pray, Lord, that you help them realize that you are with them every step of the way. That you help them realize that you have never left and you never forsake, God. That you help them realize the words of the songs to be true, that you are our strength. That you are a strength like no other. That you are a strength that can reach, Lord, to the lowest in the depths of us and the valleys, Father. That you can reach us, God, when we feel, Lord, on the brink of giving up, God. That you haven't forgotten us, God, when we feel like we want, when we lost all hope, God. I'm asking you to help them realize, like, that you are your strength, God. I'm asking you to help them to realize, Lord, that you have written words of their heart, God. You have written words on their heart saying, Lord, that they are yours, Father. And that the God, that the good shepherd won't let any of his sheep, Lord, be left out of his hands. God, I'm praying, Lord, for those, Lord, who feel like they've been searching. Let them search no longer. Those, many of us, Lord, feel like we've been trying to go to other avenues because we've been disappointed. But I pray, Lord, that they exhaust every avenue until they get back to you. And that you show them, Lord, that you've never forgotten. That you've never left that you've never forsaken them, that you haven't stopped working. Some of us are actually convinced that, you, that you're done with us. Some of us have been convinced, Lord, that there's no hope. Some of us have just decided to settle in to our situation, but today let it be no more. Today I pray, Lord, that you revive someone's heart and, heart and hope. I'm praying, Lord, that if they need to connect to community, let them do so. If they need to connect to prayer, let them do so. If they need to go to the prayer team, let them do so. But I pray that they don't leave this room the same way that they came. Father, I'm praying for something that only your spirit can do. Because only your spirit can allow someone to walk in and leave changed. I'm praying for your transformational power to fall on this room in the name of Jesus. And I'm praying, Lord, that as the deer pants for the water, let us not pant, God. Let us know, Lord, that we have an everlasting reservoir, reservoir, Lord, that we have a well that never runs dry. So I pray, Lord, that we bring our petitions to you, knowing, Lord, that you can touch us, knowing, Lord, that you can save us, and knowing that you can redeem us. We say this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We're about to move into a time of communion. This is a time where we choose to remember the works of the cross. 
And so as the welcome team comes by and pass down the communion elements, I, if, you're, if you're saved, I ask you to take it. And if you're not saved, if you're still on the fence, I, we ask to let it pass because we want you to take the real thing. This thing is only a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done, but we want you to experience the work of Christ. So if you don't want to know Jesus today, you can come meet us after service and we'll pray for you. And let us all be encouraged that what, no matter what season that we're going through, that God has not, never left us alone. May God bless you guys.